Our third reading tonight comes from the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. I spent a long time thinking what to talk about uh, this Christmas. I thought we could talk about uh, peace and uh, reconciliation. That'd be a good thing to talk about, you know, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. It'd be topical. It'd be a good thing to talk about, peace and reconciliation. I'm not going to talk about that tonight. I could talk about uh, comfort. I could talk about homelessness. I could talk about hope. I'm not going to talk about those tonight either. I thought tonight I'd be really radical. Talk about something really radical for Christmas Eve. I thought we'd talk about... Jesus. That's radical, isn't it? It is pretty radical to talk about Jesus because Jesus is the most famous person in history and yet so many people in our world, in our city, in Kirbali are really clueless as to who Jesus really is. Let's think about Jesus. He was born in a country town. He worked as a carpenter. He never traveled more than a few hundred kilometers from his home. He never held political office. He never wrote a book. He never married. He never attended university. He lived to the age of 33. And yet he's the most famous person in the world. More songs have been sung to him. More books written about him than anybody else in history. No parliaments that ever sat, no kings that ever reigned, no pop stars that ever sang or talk show hosts that ever spoke have had such an impact on the world as a man, Jesus Christ. So the question for you tonight, my friends, is this. What does Jesus mean to you? 
We've just sung cows about Jesus. What does he mean to you? When you sing the cows, when you say the word Jesus, what do you think of? Maybe you're thinking of South Park Jesus, sad and pathetic, bit of a wimp. Maybe you're thinking little baby Jesus, meek and mild, and there's no crying he makes. Maybe you're thinking little lamb Jesus, cuddly, soft, bit of a detergent advert. Maybe you're thinking Jesus, your homeboy, the latest fashion accessory, cool, trendy with it. Action figure Jesus, bit of a superhero, give you everything you want, just put him on your, on your dashboard, rub him occasionally, he'll just give you what you want. Or maybe you're thinking, super stud, Jesus. <laughs> the hunk, buff, with blow-down blow hair. What does Jesus mean to you? I hope, I hope that your picture of Jesus is not that shallow. But friends, Christmas is all about Jesus, and yet when I talk to people, they have little clue as to who he really is. In my job as a minister, I meet many people, and they fit into various categories. I meet people who, who are just dissatisfied. Yeah, they've got the job they wanted, they've got the house they wanted, they've got the wife or husband they wanted, they've got the car they wanted, but they're missing something in life. They're kind of empty. They're dissatisfied with life. I meet people who are disappointed. They expected their life to be much better. They expected to be married. They expected to have kids. They expected to have a good job. They expected to have this, expected to have that. They're just disappointed with their lot in life. And even though they don't believe in God, they feel as though God has cheated them in some way. They're disappointed in some way. Dissatisfied people, disappointed people, disillusioned people, you know, a bit cynical, a bit bitter. They've lived it, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Life just comes and goes. And whether you're dissatisfied, whether you're disappointed, whether you're disillusioned, let me say tonight, you need Jesus. I need Jesus, and you need Jesus, because he's the most important person in history. I'll ask you again, what does Jesus mean to you? It's not that we don't have an opportunity to understand who Jesus is. You could go to any bookshop and buy a Bible, or talk to anybody in any church. I reckon we can't be bothered to find out about Jesus. Because it's much easier to leave Christmas just as the fun and the festivities and the food and the family and just leave Jesus to one side. Let's just nod patronizing to Jesus once a year. What does Jesus mean to you? Why did you come tonight? Well, look at John chapter 1. It's a majestic passage. There's no account of angels or Mary or the shepherds or wise men. The other gospel accounts have that. John goes behind the scenes and explains the significance of Christmas. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Who is this Word? It's a bit like Agatha Christie. You're sort of reading the whole passage going, who's the Word? Who's the Word? We use words to communicate, don't we? We use words to express ourselves. Same with God. The Word is God's self-expression. But it's not an it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And He was with God. And through him, all things were made. 
And the word became flesh. Who is the word? Jesus. I want to give you six quick facts about Jesus that will lock your Christmas, shake your Christmas, and change your whole life. That's the claim. Number one, Jesus is eternal. Verse one again, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. How far can you stretch back your memory? My memory is pretty hopeless. I can remember my teenage years. I can just about remember a couple of things when I was about nine or ten, but beyond that, no memory at all. How far can you push back your memory? To your school days? Your preschool days? If you could push your memory right back, back past the 21st century, back past the 20th century, back past the Middle Ages, back to Jesus' time, back to the virgin birth, back to before Jesus, back to creation, in the beginning, who was there? Jesus. There never was a time when Jesus was not. Before the clock of time began to tick, Jesus was there. See, Jesus didn't come into existence at Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. God didn't suddenly wake up one day and say, hey, I've got a great idea. I'm going to have a baby called Jesus. He's eternal. No beginning, no end. And that's because he is God. Jesus is God. There's no other name for it. He's not another name for God. He is God. He's not one God among many gods. He is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And who else could walk on water? Who else could... Raise someone from the dead. Who else could forgive your sins? Well, Jesus can, because he's God. Look at those two. He's eternal, he's God. See, we don't worship a tin pot little God who's been on the stage for a couple of hundred years. We worship a God who's been around for all eternity, who is so big, who is so powerful, who is so mightily, he begs us to take him seriously, and very seriously. Let me give you the third one. I love this one. Jesus is the creator. That's what the Bible says. Through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus made everything, all the things that we can see and all the things that we can't see. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. Have you got that? Every man, woman, and child that ever lived made by Jesus. Every animal and insect made by Jesus. Every star, every planet, every galaxy made by Jesus. Every mountain, every hill, every valley made by Jesus. Every river, every stream made by Jesus. Every tree made by Jesus. Let's think big. 15 million galaxies out there. We're one tiny part of one small galaxy. If you went outside tonight, you could maybe see a thousand stars with the naked eyes. God made all of those. Jesus made all of those. And he made you. He made your eyes and he made your smile. He made your nose. He made your hair. He made your toes. He made your feet. He made your hands. He just made you. He's your creator. And if he made you, that means that you're significant to him. It means you mean something to him. It means you're precious to him. Who is Jesus? The eternal creator God. But Jesus became flesh. It was James Irwin who said, man walking on the moon is nothing compared to God walking on earth. And that's a claim of verse 14. The word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. The eternal God became flesh. He didn't stop being God. He was still God, but he became man. That's the wonder of the incarnation. It's fascinating. The Bible tells us nothing about the looks of Jesus. They don't know what color hair he had. I assume it was dark. They don't know what size his nose was. I assume it was quite large because he was Jewish. We don't know what size his feet were or his hands were. Nothing about his appearance. But he became flesh. Not, not became man, he became flesh. It means he took on our human nature. He walked, he talked, he ate, he drank. But more than that, he experienced real emotions. You know, he felt pain. He suffered. He was tempted. He struggled. Now that's important, isn't it? Because if God has come to earth and experienced all that, we cannot sit here and say, oh, God doesn't know and God doesn't care. As I look back on the year, I've had the privilege of sitting with people in the highs and lows of life. I've sat with people who are grieving as they mourn the death of a loved one. And I can say, yeah, God knows that. He suffered grief as well. I've sat with people who are lonely and feel betrayed. And I can say, yeah, God knows that. He's felt that as well. And I've sat with people who are really hurting and confused. I can say, yeah, God knows that. He's experienced that as well. Who are tempted. God knows that. See, the difference is that because God stepped into our world, he's experienced all of that kind of stuff. And the comfort is that Jesus knows and Jesus feels and Jesus cares because he became flesh. He became one of us. Number five, Jesus makes God known. Remember the Joan Osborne, the one-hit wonder? One of us. What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us? She asked the questions, if God had a name, what would it be? If God had a face, what, what would it look like? Basically, she say, wouldn't it be great if God became flesh? We could see what he was like. And John says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. No one's ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who's at the Father's side, has made him known. God dwelling among us, God living with us. We've seen his glory. We've seen his power, his splendor, his praiseworthiness. Now, where would you go to see God's glory? Think about it. Where would you go to see God's glory? A temple? A palace? A pilgrimage? A church? Where would you go to see God's glory? The answer? A baby called Jesus. Because that is God becoming flesh. That's what distinguishes Christianity from all other religions. All other religions have ideas about God or theories about God, but Christianity says God became one of us. God took on flesh so that we could know God. And here's the big claim. Jesus offers life. That's the significance. Verse 4. In him was life. In Jesus was life. And that life was the light of men. That's the significance. Whether you're dissatisfied, disappointed, disillusioned, we need life. If you want answers to questions like, why did that happen? And what happens when we die? And why do I, do, do I have everything? I'm not satisfied. Without Jesus, there's no answers. Oh, we live and we have a great life in this world. 
But then what? See, trying to make sense of this life without God, without Jesus, is trying to spit like trying to do a, a 5,000-piece jigsaw puzzle with a light off. It's just futile. It's impossible. But Jesus comes in as the light who shines light into the darkness. What does light do? There's not much light tonight, is there? <laughs> if I switch on those lights, it would illuminate everything. It would expose everything. That's what Jesus does. He exposes, he illuminates, he illuminates our true self, the good bits and the ugly bits, and he exposes the futility of this, li- of this life. He exposes all the things that we collect, all the stuff that we gather around us that we think will satisfy us. He exposes all those things and says, they don't satisfy, come to me, and I'll give you life. Life now and life for all eternity. There's a man called... Arthur Stace, you may have heard of him. He was born in the slums in 1884. He was a drunkard. His sisters were prostitutes. He used to frequent brothels and bars until one day in August 1930, he walked into a church and he heard a preacher talk about Jesus. And the preacher said this, I wish I could preach eternity throughout the streets of Sydney. I wish I could preach eternity throughout the streets of Sydney. So Arthur State went, went, went away and learned one word. He learned to write one word, and that was the word eternity. And he walked the streets of Sydney, just chalking that word eternity half a million times. It's now a famous symbol on the Harbour Bridge in the year 2000. And that's what Jesus Christ is offering, life. Life now and life for all eternity. That's the claim of Jesus. Eternal, created God, becoming flesh, making God known, offering life. So I'm going to ask you again, what's your response to Jesus? What does he mean to you? See, there's two responses in this passage. One is ugly, and one is really beautiful. Before I give you the ugly one, let me ask you the question. You ever been rejected? Has anyone ever walked away from you and left you? It's pretty painful. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? Imagine you'd arranged to meet a really close friend at the, uh, say, the Harbour Bridge Steps, Boxing Day at midday. And you're standing there on the steps, and you see your friend walking towards you. And your friend sees you, and they eyeball you, and they just turn away from you. And then they walk straight up to you, and they look you in the face. And they say, get lost. And they walk away. That is wrong. And yet that's the response that a lot of people make to Jesus. They reject Jesus. Verse 10, he was in the world. He came to his world. And though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. They, didn't, they chose not to recognize him. They didn't want to recognize him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. They slammed the door in his face. And that's a classic response today. We choose to blank out Jesus for most of our life. Uh, we nod patronizingly at Christmas and Easter. But the rest of the year, we just ignore subtly Jesus. Why do we do that? Maybe it's lack of knowledge. 
Maybe tonight you've discovered for the first time that Jesus is pretty big and much bigger than you thought. I'd love to share more about Jesus, but I don't reckon people reject Jesus because of lack of knowledge. John tells us why they reject him. Because they love the darkness. People reject Jesus because they love the darkness. They, they love the life that they're living. We're like little insects. You ever picked up a rock? And when there's insects underneath the rock, and when you pick up the rock, that darkness turns to light. And what do the insects do? They, they scurry back under the rock because they like the darkness. And for many people, when they hear about Jesus, they, they don't like it. And they're scared that Jesus might make demands on their life. They like their life, but hey, I just ignored Jesus. Too confronting, too hard. 